Last year, we did 298 C-sections. And the average small animal clinic does one every year or two years, one. And we did 298. We did four the other day in a four hour workday on Saturday. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is an episode of Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. Today on Veterinary Vitals, we get to speak with Dr. Kirk Esmond. Dr. Esmond, founder of Josie Ranch Pet Hospital in Carrollton, Texas, is the recipient of the TVMA Companion Animal Practitioner of the Year Award. He received his Bachelor's of Science in Animal Science from Texas A&M University in 1983. He also received his Bachelor's of Science in Veterinary Science in 1985 and his DVM in 1987. He has been involved with the breeding and showing of AKC registered dogs for the last 40 years. He offers full diagnostic reproduction services for canines, and his interest in reproduction has spanned his 30-year career. Dr. Esmond is also currently employed by Zoetis as their reproductive technical consultant and the national trainer for all new semen freezing centers. Welcome, Dr. Esmond. Uh, can you start by talking about your early life and if you had any animals growing up? Okay. Um, I was the fourth of five children. We were raised in a town called Nederland, Texas. And um, yes, we always had, you know, a dog, but at the time the dogs were just another mouth to feed. So they never saw a veterinarian. But when I was in the third grade, I started um, showing chickens in 4-H. And then from there, I was able to save enough money to um, buy my first 4-H project. But in the meantime, one year, a good friend of ours who started me in the chicken business raised dairy goats. And I went over there five times a day one summer for about three weeks and bottle fed like 13 baby goats for these people. Aww. But I was in the summer. It was a couple of miles on my bicycle and I loved it. So I went. And then one day he called me and said, uh, I have an envelope from the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. You got another check for your chickens. I said, I already got my check. He said, well, there's another one here. And when I got there, he had some registration papers. He had given me one of the baby goats. And my parents were in on it. So that's kind of how I started with livestock. I had the dairy goats. And then I started showing um, pigs in high school and then steers. And my last steer that I raised was reserve champion in our county fair. And this was back in like 1978. And I sold him for like $6,000, which back then was a lot of money. So that paid for a lot of my undergraduate school. I was one of these kids that in third grade, if people said, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be a veterinarian. And I was fortunate that I was able to do so. And here I am 34 years later, still loving what I do. That's amazing. So how did you get started in veterinary medicine? I was the only one of the five kids that went to school. Nobody on my side of the family had ever gone to college and I had to pay for eight full years of college by myself. So that made it more worthwhile. And then I was fortunate. I worked for a veterinarian for four years. I kind of learned two big things, how not to treat your staff and how not to take advantage of your clients. So in a way, those were good business lessons. And from there, I opened my own clinic less than a mile down the street. 
Uh, it was myself and four employees, and now we have six doctors and a staff of over 20. Wow. And so I was real fortunate. It was back in the day when Field of Dreams, the movie was out. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But the philosophy is if you build it, they will come. And I thought, if my previous boss can be successful, I can do this. So I started my own practice, and uh, our motto was and still is where caring makes the difference. And I think that transferred to my clientele very well. They knew they got good medicine at a fair price and they were really cared and cared about and listened to. And I've been a big, big, big believer in um, client education. I mean, I don't want to just give you three medications. I want you to understand what they are, what they're for, and that we're going to follow up and things aren't better, come back, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, basic concept that every practitioner should have in their clinic. But I think we just really strive to let these people know we were there for their pets. We really wanted to help them out. And uh, you know yourself. I mean, there's you go to a hairstylist and maybe you love her because she just goes overboard. And maybe all you do is get a trim and you'll drive 30 miles for her, but you like her. Mm-hmm. You connected with her on a personal level and you think that her services are as good as anybody else's. And there could be other stylists out there that are far better than her, but you found someone you're comfortable with and you stay with them. And so it's really rewarding for me to have a fair number of clients that I've been seeing since 1987. Wow. So for 34 years, these people have been friends. They've become somewhat family. I see their children's pets. I see their grandchildren's pets. So that's been rewarding to have that longevity of my clients. You right. Right. And with that is the longevity of my staff. For example, my practice manager has been with me almost 26 years. And prior to that, two years ago, I lost probably my best friend and my hospital manager. She'd worked for me for 27 years since the day I opened. So I have, you know, two employees that have been here 15 plus years, about five that have been there over 10 um, two of my employees just got their five-year gifts. Uh, my doctors, one of them has been there 19 years. So we have real good retention of staff. And I think the reason for that is they're treated like real people. They're respected for their work. Um, I utilize my staff, like my nursing staff get to be nurses. They actually get to do lots of stuff. And we couldn't handle the volume of work that we have if we didn't have the support staff that we have. But for example, with my nursing staff, if I have a surgery that comes in, uh, each one of the doctors has two technicians assigned to us. So we have our little teams. So if somebody calls and said there was a dog spayed yesterday, the client has a question. They know that it was your surgery day. So they're going to call your technicians to answer the phone. It just really adds to continuity of care. But like my staff will check the animal in, place the catheters, pull up the drugs. I do my exam. They drop the patient, they recover the patient, they do the medical records, the discharge instructions, they talk to the clients upon discharge. So we use our staff. So Mm -hmm. they not only have a a good place with good pay and good benefits, but they get to use their job skills. Yeah. That's kind of been the progression of this. You know, um, when I was, I I was raised in a small town Mm -hmm. and never once in my childhood did someone say, you need to go to college, you need to be a doctor. That just, it wasn't. If I had stayed home in that small town and worked for one of the local refineries, I'd be doing what half of my classmates did, you know? And for some reason, I just, I loved medicine. I loved animals and I loved people. And I thought this way, 
I get to work with people, but I also get to work with the animals that I love the most. So um, I was very blessed to have found a career that has ended in this situation. Yes, I hope winning the TVMA Companion Animal Practitioner of the Year Award is a nice feather in your cap at the end of your career. Um, so was last year really busy for your clinic with the start of the pandemic? Yes, if I could say extremely with all capital letters and then said ridiculously with all capital letters, yes. Um, you know, at the veterinary industry overall, there's a shortage of veterinarians and there's a shortage of staff. And I really suspected if people were not employed and maybe not getting money or getting stimulus checks, they wouldn't be spending all that on their pets. The, the flip side of that is everyone paid attention to Fido. I mean, suddenly that tumor that had been on its ear for four years is a problem. We need to get him in, you know? And so, yes, our caseload exploded. Uh, the potential, the growth that we exhibited last year, for example, compared to the last 20 years, you know, we were growing five to 8% last year. I think we grew 30 something percent. Well, when you've got a five doctor hospital, well, let me say this two years ago, we were four doctors. We're now at six and we're booked and we're interviewing more. And we're actually having to expand onto the clinic because we've outgrown the situation. So I never would have expected in my last couple of months of working, I'd be redesigning and scheduling and planning to build on. But when I leave the practice, eventually I want to leave it just with the same reputation that it had, with the same staff, with the same quality of care. And I want it to be functional and operational. I don't want to leave it in the middle of chaos. Right. But yes, this last year with pet adoptions, and, um, you know, everybody was coming in with new animals. And my clinic is highly based on canine reproduction. Mm -hmm. And my clients could not produce enough puppies to sell. Every single lady would come in and said, I have 20 on my waiting list. She's going to have three or four. So I'm going to breed her daughter next month, whatever. And yes, business went crazy in this past year during the pandemic. Yes, I've been hearing from veterinarians that some clients have become frustrated with appointment availability and they're like, hang on, please be patient with us. We're trying to get through our caseload as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yesterday, one of my clients posted, it looks kind of like a meme, but because it's all typed up and typeset. And I asked her if I could copy it where it came from. And I'm going to talk to the powers at corporate to say, can we post this? And what it says is, please understand, our phone loads are overloaded. We will call you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a sick animal, call ASAP. We don't have appointments. I mean, it got to the point where in my 34-year career and 30 years of owning my clinic this December, it'll be the 30th anniversary of me opening and starting this practice, um, we have never once turned a person away. On the phone, we'll say, well, come in and we'll fit you in. If they happen to walk in the door, we would make it work. We finally got to the point where I told the front desk just to tell people no. I said, ask them, have you called your regular vet? And if they say yes, but they're busy, say, well, we're sorry, but we don't have any openings either, you know, and try to find them somewhere else to go because it wasn't that we couldn't use the business. Everybody wants to be busy and make money for everybody involved. It was just a function of my staff sanity. You know, the doctors were working till seven, eight o'clock at night. We closed at six. Uh, we went computer paperless the same week that we quarantined, which was not a good thing because now we're having to adapt to taking notes and then at the end of the day, typing everything up. And it has been a very, very, probably the most challenging year and a half 
in my career. I've worked harder now than I ever worked when ever, ever. And that wasn't the plan for me to be slowing down and busting it like I'm having to bust it. Right. Yeah. yeah business, business has been amazing. And I have to admit, uh, every colleague that I speak with is in the same boat. Uh, they're all getting worn down, frustrated. You know, clients have been extremely rude this past year. Many of them have. It'd be a great time to fire people, but I'd rather try to make you happy than tell you just to go find another place to go, you know? Right. And um, it's been great for businesses, but um, every single person I know that's looking for vets is finding the same problem. You know, uh, new graduates today, and if a veterinarian leaves their job, they can get a job tomorrow morning. All they have to do is call around. There will be plenty of positions available for them. And yeah. so the, the, the industry itself has changed. Uh, we're doing a lot more um, because of the shift in how busy we are and that we were quarantined and our front doors were shut. A lot of people are using online ordering for their heartworm preventatives, flea controls, you know, all of their medications are like, hey, I can get this on Chewy or whatever. So we are sending a lot of business out the door via the computer. Uh, mm -hmm. And even when we tell the people we can match your price, they're like, well, it's convenient. They'll deliver it. I'm like, we'll deliver it too. But uh, clients have the option now, as you know, uh, with anything you need, you don't need to go to the mall to go shopping. You can order all your clothes online. You, about the only thing you have to go to is your eye doctor <laughs> to get new lenses because you got to have a prescription. But other than that, seriously, I mean, hair care products, your food, um, stuff for your lawn, you can just have anything delivered to your home now, which is a convenience, but a detriment to a lot of veterinarians because they're losing a lot of cash money to easy products like flea and heartworm preventative. So you have to find other ways to make your clinic profitable. Uh, offer services other people don't offer. And that's where my clinic, um, you know, we do, like I said, we do lots and lots of canine reproduction. And I probably feel like that's one of the reasons my clinic stood out to TVMA is because we weren't just like every other companion animal practitioner. Well, what is it that makes you or Josie Ranch so special? Uh, I don't consider myself anything unique or special. I pull my jeans up one leg at a time, just like you do. But what we offer our clients is unique and special. Mm -hmm. And for example, um, last year we did 298 C-sections and the average small animal clinic does one every year or two years, one. And we did 298. We did four the other day in a four hour workday on Saturday. So we're well known across the state and the country for what we do in canine reproduction. Uh, I have a semen freezing center that I established about 14 years ago. So we freeze and ship semen all over the world on stud dogs. Uh, I also am a technical consultant for Zoetis. So if your veterinarian has a question about repro, Zoetis will have them call me. And I, I consult and I'm also the national trainer. So that if your veterinarian, for example, wants to become a free center, like I am, your doctors come to me and I do a two day training course and get them certified. So I do that on top of managing and operating a full-time practice. Wow. Are you going to continue with that after you retire from your practice? I believe I will. Um, it's, I've really enjoyed, I think we've trained 20 something clinics in the last couple of years. So 
Uh, I get phone calls from veterinarians now across the country that said, hey, we just froze semen and it worked. We used it on a dog. And that's really rewarding. Mm -hmm. And because it's not something that I have to do every day, uh, we probably train someone every two two months or so. Uh, I'm sure I'll keep that up to keep my hands in it and stay involved. That's great. I've never heard anyone talk about this before. So I think it's really unique and interesting. Well, and just talking about the growth of the practice, for example, three years ago, we bred 348 female dogs. Okay. Last year we bred 611. That's 160 more dogs within a matter of two years. And since most clinics don't do any reproduction, that's a huge caseload because each one of those animals comes in for blood work and testing four times, two breedings and ultrasound x-rays. That's like eight visits per breeding. So now you throw in another 160 dogs with eight visits a year and you can see that our practice is just busy. Holy moly. <laughs> now, and on top of that, I mean, out of the six doctors, three of us do reproduction and two of them also do general medicine. I strictly do reproduction work now. And um, I mean, we also are a basic general veterinary medicine and surgical clinic. So we do spays and neuters and dentals and skin disease and all of those things. But we have this big niche over here that's the canine reproduction. I've got a client that, that drives from Phoenix. Phoenix for me to freeze semen on her dogs and to breed her females. Wow. And I've tried to find her tons of veterinarians between here and Phoenix that can help her. But she likes Josie Ranch. She likes me and she wants to drive. I'm not going to tell her no, you know. But we do have clients that come from multiple states for breeding. I have a lady from New Jersey that comes down, a lot of people, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Florida, you know, we'll have clients drive from Florida. And I'm like, there's good vets in Florida that do exactly what I do, but I'm not going to tell like them. Them. Yeah. Well, as I said to you before, I built a clinic in the day of, if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And I just think treating people right and, and maintaining a good reputation locally, what's really nice is all the veterinarians in the, the North Texas area see our ad in the newsletters. And so clients will just call and say, you know, I called Audrea and she said, go to Josie Ranch in Carrollton. It's just an automatic, that's where you go. So we, we see tons of referrals from all the veterinarians and that's what's really helpful as well. Right, now shifting gears a little bit, what helped you reach your goals in veterinary medicine? Did you have any mentors or, or any other sort of guidance throughout your career? No, there really hasn't. You know, um, I wish I could say that Dr. So-and-so, I worked with him when I was a kid and we talked and we can, no, there really hasn't. I think I just had the mindset, um, if, if you can do it, I can do it. You know, I mean, I wasn't the smartest kid in vet school, but I did well. Um, I think it's just one of those internal driven motivational things. If you want something, you'll make it work. You just do what you have to do. I mean, when I opened the clinic, I was mopping floors and cleaning cages and stocking shelves. And to this day, my doctors will do something and leave a mess and I walk by and I'm cleaning stuff up. It's just part of my nature to say, if it's here, it's gotta be done. You know, So I have a general motto that I tell people when I hire them. I may hire you to be a receptionist, okay? But, and your primary job is gonna be at the front desk. But from the minute you clock in to the minute you clock out, your job is really anything within the, the realm of that hospital. 
if I need you to go fold towels or bathe the dog or mop the floor, please don't ever tell me that's not my job. I'm a receptionist. Your job is to do whatever needs to be done under the roof of that business. So everybody there kind of has that mindset that we all have to do whatever we have to do. No one's too good to clean a cage or too good to fold towels. You know, it's we we've got this work to do. We got to get it done. Let's get it done. But as far as a mentor, again, there really hasn't been. I've had people along the way. Um, I had some undergraduate professors that were always very supportive, you know, and they're like, you're going to do it. You're going to make it to school. I don't have any doubt, you know, but I really haven't had anyone I turn to on a regular basis, you know, for support and guidance. Um, I just kind of winged it and thought it seems to be working. So I guess we're doing an okay job, you know, and it just added a second doctor. Then we added a third and then we added onto the clinic and now we're adding onto the clinic again and we're adding another doc. I just got off with my boss. There's another interview that's going to come in next week to, to fill more space because when I step out, we've got to have somebody else lined up to do lots of reproduction and reproduction is something you get about this much training and vet school on. Mm-hmm. They teach everyone how to spay and neuter. They don't teach you about all of these problems that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. So although I am not board certified in reproduction, I have a special interest in repro, mm-hmm. but that being said, I've spoken at the national reproduction conference several times. Um, I've given seminars across the States a lot of local seminars to breed clubs and dog show groups. Um, I'm speaking at a, a national specialty in September. So I do a lot of speaking engagements outside of the clinic. And although I'm not board certified in the community, I would like to feel that I'm respected from these people because I've done it for so long. And I attend all the national conferences. So all of my continued education for the last 10 years has strictly been canine reproduction trying to hone my skills and offer the best that we can offer. Uh, My other doctors focus on general medicine and thyroid disease and diabetic cats and things like that. I tend to just go straight to the reproduction work. And I think the fact that I'm not a specialist and Zoetis hired me to be one of their consultants and to be their trainer, you know, says that people outside of my immediate friends feel that I have a good handle on canine reproduction. Um, And that's going to be the hard part to leave because the most creative thing that we can do in veterinary medicine is create something. In other words, if your cat comes to the clinic with an ear infection, well, we can give it medicine. We can stop the vomiting, the diarrhea. But when I can take semen that's been frozen 31 years and make puppies in North Texas and the semen came from Spain, that's taking two things and mixing them all up and making something that's really, really rewarding. It's very self-satisfying and the clients are always super grateful because that couldn't have happened without our assistant. Wow. That does sound really rewarding. I, I didn't even know that was possible after 30 years. That's the oldest. We've used a lot of semen 20 to 25 years of age. It works well. And so when you have a dog that's been dead for 20 years, and you bring him back, you know, uh, that means a lot to these people. They're, they're going back 20 years to find these dogs for special little traits, something about their structure or their conformation or their movement. And they want to bring that back into their genetics in modern day. And that's, that is really, really rewarding. That is so cool. Uh, that brings like a little magical element to reproduction. Um, so 
I mean, after a very long, successful career, do you have any advice for aspiring veterinarians? Yes. And, and on that note about aspiring veterinarians, I think inspiring is just as important. Um, by the time I finish my career, there are currently seven veterinarians practicing and one of my employees who's in vet school. So I will have helped eight people that worked with me, studied under me, mentored under me that have made it through vet school. So when I leave veterinary medicine, I can honestly feel like I gave back. I helped put eight more people in this environment. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we always have interns and students coming in for mentoring through the high schools, the various schools, uh, college students that'll come in and spend a summer with me that want to shadow me. And um, so as far as advice to the young kids, like another thing on the side, I'm getting sidetracked. I talk a lot, you can figure that out. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I do is I raise sheep for 4-H and FFA students, okay? It's just a side hobby. I don't have any kids, um, but this is my way to give back to 4-H because 4-H is what paid for most of my college. And I raise these livestock and I help these kids. They buy them, they show them, they come back the next year. So through the last 15 years, I've made a lot of really good friends with the students that are now in college or some of them finishing college and their parents and families. So I try to inspire these youngsters in the field of agriculture as well as in medicine. And I just got off the phone with one of the young ladies who went to work with me last week, one day to shadow. And she asked, is it possible if I come every Thursday this summer? Cause I'm off work on Thursdays. So I really try to get these kids into the environment, show them what veterinary medicine can be. And naturally veterinary medicine is fairly large female versus male at this point. So I'll tell these young girls that come to my house, you don't have to be six foot three to be a veterinarian and work on animals. We give them medications to settle them down. I can't handle a horse any better than you. And this really is a wonderful opportunity. So I'm constantly giving students, whether they be high school or junior high, advice on going to school, following their dreams. Uh, when they come out to my house, Keep in mind, like I said, I was fourth of five kids raised in a 900 square foot home. The barn I have currently now is three times that size and my house is five times that size. But I tell these students, I said, it's not that I ever once grew up aspiring to have this house and this property. It just happened because of my hard work. It allowed me to do these things, you know, that anything is possible. The only thing limiting you in your future is you. And if you tell me that your twin sister is smarter than you, and I'm going to tell you, well, then you just have to study a little harder. If you want it, nothing in life that's worth having is free or easy. Uh, believe me, um, that old saying, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, that's garbage because <laughs> I work my butt off and I still do 34 years later. But the good thing about it, I still love what I do. If I was sitting behind a chair crunching numbers all day, I would just be bored stiff. You know, veterinary medicine is a career that you can never sit on your laurels and say, I got it. I know this. It changes. It changes daily. It changes monthly. Uh, the whole dynamic of veterinary medicine and the concept of the importance of pets in your home and to your family is extremely different. I remember my senior year, we had a course called the human animal companion bond. And they wanted us to understand that you are very connected to your dog. They mean lots to you. Well, that was like a new concept because I guess prior to that, they were just considered 
animals. You just own pets. Yeah. Well, now you and I both know the significance of pets in your household. You know, we have so many people that don't have kids or don't have a spouse, but they will spend $30,000 for chemotherapy for their cat. It's just, they will. a quick break for an announcement from TVMA President Dr. Steve Gola. Howdy my Texas veterinarians. My name is Dr. Steve Gola and the current president of the Texas Veterinary Medical Association. Over the last year and a half, COVID-19 has disrupted everything, especially our ability as the veterinarians of Texas to gather and celebrate each other. However, our need to gather and celebrate along with the need to raise some money for the Texas Veterinary Political Action Committee has provided the excuse for us to party together once again. I am personally inviting you to attend a party on Saturday night, September 25th at 7 p.m. in the Lonesome Dove Room of the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio, Texas. The Texas Veterinary Political Action Committee, also known as VPAC, is one of the main tools that allows TVMA's legislative efforts to be successful. VPAC helps us get the attention of legislatures and continue to build relationships so that during the legislative session we can guard against the passage of bad bills that would negatively impact our profession while we work to pass our own legislative agenda. Currently, we have four veterinarians serving as representatives in the Texas House and with them a strong team of influencers to help us protect this profession. For us to continue to have the success we need to support these veterinarians and our other legislative allies, we need to raise some money this need and to continue the tradition of celebration of the profession created this event. Please join us at the upcoming Southwest Veterinary Symposium in San Antonio as a TVMA and VPAC is hosting a Denim and Diamonds themed party to continue our work to promote, advocate for, and protect the veterinary medical profession and to elect more veterinarians to public office. On Saturday, September 25th, we are excited to have the Texas Jam Band featuring members of George Strait's Ace in the Hole Band with special guests scheduled to play for us. The concert will be in the Lonesome Dove Room of the Convention Center on the Riverwalk. Tickets are $89 and come with a couple of drinks and heavy hors d'oeuvres. Special thanks to our sponsors, Midwest Veterinary Supply, Innovative Pet Care, and Heartland Veterinary Partners. So put on your best pair of dancing boots and come join us and once again to celebrate each other at our Denim and Diamonds Dance Saturday night, September 25th in San Antonio. We hope to see you there. Um, the importance and the significance of your pet in your day-to-day -day life is very important. Now we have people putting in iPads above the water bowls in the kitchen and they can call their dog and talk to them. I saw a video the other day and the dog is laying on the sofa and you hear this, Fifi, it's mama, Fifi, come here. And the dog jumps up because they have a camera up in the house and the dog runs over to its water bowl and the lady's face is like on a Zoom meeting and the dog's wagging its tail and she's talking to the dog. And when she hangs up, the dog is like, and then it walked off. So when people even put cameras in their homes to check on their pets or to communicate with them, that whole concept of this is a new philosophy, the companion animal bond is way, way old. I mean, we are way beyond that now. And so clients' dedications to their pets, just like my dedication to my career, it's just you need to have that level of dedication to your work in order to stay in this business because it's hard. It's, it's very depressing at times. There's a lot of emotional 
situations you you know as well i'm sure that veterinarians have the highest suicide rate of any profession in the country mm-hmm. and we see it happening all the time and all too often you know yes it's very sad um we try to provide some resources for mental health on a weekly basis just because oftentimes when people are going through something they don't even realize there's a problem right yeah stress becomes normal anxiety and depression become normal so we've got to do whatever we can to shine a light on that and say hey have you thought about how you're feeling lately have you checked in with yourself are you getting burnt out so we try to share those little reminders to check in on a regular basis uh, because it's very important so yeah with all that you have going on uh, you're a very busy man what do you do outside of work um can you tell me a little bit about your family, any pets or hobbies that you might have? Yeah, um, I am actually now legally married to my husband. Uh, we were together 27 years last October. So it's been 27, um, it'll be 28 years this October. And one of the things is, um, you know, we talked about getting married and it's like, eh, whatever. And I'm thinking I'm divorced. I've been there. I've done that, you know. Mm-hmm. And But then again, when COVID hit last year, the realization that if one of us went in the hospital, they wouldn't even talk to the other person because mm-hmm. we weren't legally married. They would talk to my family, but not to Jimmy. And, and, and the reality that, hey, if I die, nobody gets my social security, you know, and I've been paying all this time. So we just made it legal last year on our anniversary. So we've been together 28 years. Thank you. He's owned his own business. He retired when COVID hit and I'm getting ready to retire. We have one household pet, uh, an English cocker show dog named Louie. And then um, in the property, I've got turkeys, peacocks, guineas, two pet goats, two guard dogs, and about 70 sheep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The guard dogs are Smith and Wesson. So when people said, how do you protect your sheep from coyotes? And I'm like, ah, I got a Smith and Wesson down at the barn. You know, and the two goats are Coco and Chanel, and um, then all of the, all of the sheep have names. I mean, I know who they are on paper. I have to get my sheet of paper to say who's number twenty-eight. Oh yeah, that's Audria. That's her. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that's our current household situation. Just the one dog and the two of us. And like I say, he just retired. I'm on the verge of that. So here we are in Mexico as we speak, and. This is the place we're staying in. Oh my gosh, that is gorgeous. Yeah, we we bought here a year ago. It's to the point in our career where we're really wanting to travel and enjoy our time. That sounds fabulous. I think that's something a lot of working professionals have to keep their sights on to stay motivated throughout their career. And it is, and I can see where I understand why some of these younger veterinarians get burnt out. I, I get it. I do. It's it's a demanding caseload. Uh, if you want to make more money, you have to see more clients. And so they're busy. They're working long hours. But I have had um, four of my female doctors that have had kids and come back. And so the nice thing about that is, at least if they work with me, I'm very flexible. Your daughter's got a recital at school. Go. You need to be there for your family, you know. Um, it's a Saturday and I need to leave early to get to my kid's soccer game. Then go to the soccer game. You can't miss out on life because you wake up and it's gone. Yeah. So seize the moment, you know, spend time with your kids, be there for them. They don't want to be the kids growing up. So, well, mom was never home. She worked all the time, but it is a, it's a challenging career. I think it's extremely rewarding. It gives you so much back, 
but it is it is difficult. It's challenging. It's demanding. It's depressing at times. You're overworked. You feel underappreciated because you forget all the times your clients say, oh, I love you. You're the best. But you don't forget the time the client chews you out and tells you you messed up and yada, yada, yada. Of course. And you should be able to at some point to let that go and say, well, that's just Audrey or she's hard to please. But it's not. It gets to you. It bugs you that somebody's unhappy with you. You know, you want everybody to love you and think you did a great job. And I've learned a long time ago, that's not the case. Not everybody will love me. I'll make the people happy that I can. And the nice thing about having five or six doctors is if they don't like you, they can see one of the other five and vice versa. And so I've been extremely, an extremely blessed person. I really am to come from where I came from to be talking to you right now and having the opportunities I've had throughout my career. Um, I don't think it's none of it was given to me ever. I mean, I opened that clinic from scratch with three employees and I fought my way to where I am today. And I just think that anyone that wants it bad enough can do the same thing, but it's going to be a long road and you're going to have to put in the effort. And like I said earlier, nothing worth having is free or easy. Or at least it hasn't been for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was Dr. Kirk Esmond reflecting on his 34-year career in companion animal medicine and reproduction. Just months from retirement, Dr. Esmond has received the TVMA Companion Animal Practitioner of the Year Award. It was just lovely talking with him. If you couldn't tell, he's quite the chatterbox, which made my job very easy since he answered most of my questions before I even got to them. I hope he enjoys his retirement. It is well deserved. Speaking of retirement, on the next episode of Vital News, I speak with Chris Copeland, the executive director of TVMA, who will be retiring next year after 24 years with the association. He is full of TVMA knowledge, so you won't want to miss it. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a colleague and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A like, a share, a retweet, these are all great ways that you can support TVMA that won't cost you a dime. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. Thanks for listening.